Today, I get to bring to you Sunny Jo Lawrence. She is a Utah native and a mom to five kids, five kids in seven years. She has her degree in psychology and what she's known for, where you might recognize her from, is she is the wife of James Lawrence, who is also known as the Iron Cowboy. He's done some incredible physical feats in triathlon, including 50 triathlons in 50 days and 50 states, and most recently conquering Conquer 100, which was actually 101 full distance triathlons in 101 days. But the cool part about all this is Sunny was the backbone of these events while raising five kids. And her journey didn't start then. Her love for fitness isn't this side thing that is shadowed by what her husband does. She has her own story and she has her own perspective on all of this and stayed home and raised her five kids while still finding time to take care of her fitness, take care of her health as a young mom raising little kids. And now she's got older children. They've grown up and she has so much wisdom to share with us today. I'm so excited for what she's got in store this year for her own life and for her career and the calling that's on her life. She is just a ray of sunshine, like her name says, but she has so much wisdom to bring to us today when it comes to mindset and discipline and habits and consistency in our day-to-day lives. And she is a mom of five, so she's got a lot of wisdom when it comes to this stuff. So I'm just going to get to it. I cannot wait to bring Sunny to you. She is about to bless you so much and encourage you and spur you on to be your best and show up your best and let go of your excuses. Let go of those things that are holding you back. So let's get into it. Hey mama, welcome to the tough love mom podcast. I know you're here because you're ready to get disciplined and lose weight and you're not afraid of a little tough love. Taking on your journey postpartum is hard, but it's not impossible. I believe that we mamas have an ingrained ability to figure out what we need to do, make it happen no matter what, and do it in a way that inspires the world and sets a beautiful example of healthy living for our little ones. My mission is to help you uncover that ability and live a life of confidence and consistency. Hey, I'm Liz, and I've been where you are. I gained more than the suggested amount of weight in both of my pregnancies, but with sustainable habits, consistency, routine, and taking hold of my thoughts, I lost it all in just over a year, both times, and I'm here to help you do the same. If you're ready to stop falling off the wagon, truly break free from the perfectionism that is holding you back, and finally feel your best, all while enjoying dino nuggets on your salad, you are in the right place. It's time to get disciplined so you can live a life of consistency and true confidence, mama. We're about to transform your postpartum journey. Get pumped up. It is tough love time. Hey, Sunny, I'm so glad to have you here and grateful that you came on today to share with these moms your insights and all of your knowledge and wisdom and motherhood and postpartum and mindset because I just really look up to you as someone who is just so solid in how you approach life. So I'm really excited to just bring you to these moms. Um, it really seems you've got five kids. Your life is very busy and unorthodox compared to the typical <laughs> family life. So you really do all the things. And um, I want to backtrack though, because your whole family's life revolves around physical fitness and everything that your husband does. So where did your love for fitness originally come from and how did your family get started? How did you become a mom? I loved sports growing up. 
back then sports weren't quite what they are now. They didn't dominate your life. They were a lot more fun. And so I lived a slept, drank sports, particularly basketball and softball. Those were the two kind of ones I specialized in. And as I got older, I realized that I really enjoyed fitness. So it moved into fitness, particularly running. I still really love to run. And I was just thinking the other day, I was out running and I thought, I just still love to run. I'm 40 and I still absolutely love it. And I guess that's really one of the only things James and I have in common is fitness. And so we kind of attracted each other through fitness and it's kind of become a part of our family life. Interestingly enough, though, our kids aren't into it like James and I were. They have these two amazing athlete parents and none of them are really into sports. They're all very talented, but they just aren't like into it. So they enjoy playing them casually and they enjoy watching them, but they're not, and we don't, we don't have a hardcore athlete. So out of five kids, we're zero for five. (laughs) That's so funny. So you said that you did a lot of running and athletic type stuff. Did you do that mostly before kids throughout your pregnancies afterwards? How was your fitness, your love for running? How did that play into becoming a mom? Something I love talking about because my perspective and perception is quite different in hindsight, looking back. Okay. Um, I've always been really muscular. Uh, I I'm definitely designed for things like weights and power, not necessarily speed. You know, I can go forever. You know, the pioneers settled Utah and I always say I would have made a great pioneer. I'd have no problem pulling a heavy card through the mountains, you know? Um, so I, I, it was really important to me to make sure I maintained my fitness through my pregnancies and, and afterwards. And I had, I was done having kids by the time I was 28. I had my first baby at 21 and my last at 28. Okay. So it was less than seven years that I ended up having all five of my kids, which was intentional. James and I both came from close families. So we wanted to have our kids really close, but my perspective um, as a young mom growing up was, it was really important for me to stay really fit. And in hindsight, now I'm thinking I gave that way too much effort and too much value So I didn't run through my pregnancies. It was way too hard on my body. It just killed my back. So whenever somebody tells me they run through their pregnancies, I'm like, how do they do that? I don't know if they're just smaller people or what. I gained 40 pounds in all my pregnancies. I did a lot of elliptical. I also couldn't bike at all because the pressure like for my legs coming up with my giant belly, I couldn't do that. So I really stuck to weights and elliptical, things like that. Even swimming. I struggled swimming because of the pressure of the water on my belly. I didn't swim. So I laid low. I did like the stepper and elliptical through my pregnancies, but where I really emphasized too much effort was after I had babies. I wish that I hadn't have valued getting into shape as much as I did. I went really strict and things after having my babies and I kind of regret it. I wish that I would have allowed that to be a little more natural because now I'm 40 and I'm 20 pounds heavier than I've ever been. And I feel just fine about it. (laughs) Yeah. So I think if I'd understood that it would have been okay, it wouldn't have been such a big deal, but I felt like it was so important to maintain my weight afterwards. And I didn't lose my baby weight till I was done nursing. So I knew it would take me, you know, almost a year to drop that weight back, but I wish I would have been a little more casual with that because I think I gave it way too much emphasis. So I maintained fitness and, you know, I ate healthy through my last pregnancy. I ate totally clean and I still gained 40 pounds and I was so mad. And I thought that wasn't worth it. I should have eaten cookie dough, you know? Oh yeah. <laughs> you know, but I, I wanted to see what would happen. I literally gained 40 pounds of each pregnancy. So 
I wish I would have had a little more balance through those pregnancies. Yeah. Were you, so you're, you said seven year, five kids in seven years, correct? So what were the in-betweens like for you between each pregnancy, between each kid? How are your postpartums? I mean, you said you were pretty strict. And I've always really enjoyed dieting for lack of a better word, because I love a challenge. I love health and nutrition, not just like weight loss, but I love internal health. With my first daughter, after I had her, I was like, oh, I'm kind of bored because a new baby doesn't do anything. It just sits there, right? Until they crawl. And so with my second daughter, after I had her, I was a lot, it was a lot busier because they were only 15 months apart and I was living away in Oregon and we didn't have any family and we didn't have any support. And that was really hard. And so I was majorly postpartum after my second baby. And I remember James just kept saying like, so he would go to, he would go to work all day and take the car. And then I was home all day with the two babies, but I didn't have a car and we lived in Portland. So it was raining all the time. So even mm. if the sun was out, I couldn't go out because the ground was soggy and Lucy was just learning to walk. Oof, yeah. And he'd be like, what's the big deal? It's so awesome here. I'm like, you go to work and hang out with adults all day. I sit in this <laughs> 700 square foot apartment. I don't even know if it's 700 square feet. It's probably like 500. It's just this teeny two bedroom. You know, I didn't, I tried to make friends, but everybody in our apartment complex was like older single men. I'd made a couple network, uh, networking relationships with our church, but they lived further away and I didn't have a car. So I just was like majorly postpartum. And I finally said to him, I was like, we have to move back to Utah. This isn't working. And I know he was really disappointed. In fact, I think he was disappointed for like five years because oh, he really liked it up there. It was working for him, but it wasn't working for me. Yeah. And it took me a while to kind of get back and find my rhythm I've always been a a great optimist and a cheerful person. And that pregnancy really got me leading and then into the delivery. So after the other ones, I wouldn't say I had any postpartum issues. It was just really hard because I had a lot of really little kids and uh, I spent a lot of time watching other people's kids and our life circumstances really difficult. So that whole pot stirred up made for really complex raising my young kids. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. Can you go a little bit into what happened uh, with your family when you guys hit that rocky point um, financially? That was after your fifth, your son was born, right? You have four girls and a son. So can you tell us a little bit about that? And I mean, as a mom, I can only imagine being in a place where you're, you're caring. I mean, we're, we haven't, we're nurturers as that's just how we were created. And I can only imagine the stress that that played into in your day-to-day knowing I want to nurture these kids and care for them, but we're in a tight place. And there's all these little ones running around who don't know what's going on in our finances and in our day-to-day, it would be stressful for the normal person. How did you guys grow through that? How did you grow through that as a mom, obviously dealing with some postpartum depression after your second, how did that, how did you keep from going to that place again in that situation? That's a great question. When we started to lose things financially, I actually, my daughter Dolly was born in 2008 and then Quinn was born in 2009. So it was between those two that things started to get kind of rocky. And I mean, we had a ton of money in savings. We had, I mean, the perfect financial setup, but James was a mortgage broker. And unless you live through that recession, 
you can't understand it, you know, like it was brutal. And actually a lot of younger people, a lot of younger moms now were like, I remember because I was 12, my dad lost his job and this is how it impacted our life. Right. But they weren't adults. It still dramatically impacted their life. So when Quinn was born, we got a lot of flack actually for having another baby when we were struggling financially. But I was like, well, people make it work all the time. Pioneers and, you know, Native (laughs) Americans live off the land. They keep having babies and they do just fine. You know, we figure it out. And I think the hardest part was not knowing what was going to happen. So every day it was like, are we going to lose the house? Are we going to have to move? Because I'm a go-getter and I'm a problem solver. So I remember when I used to pray, I would say, just tell me what's going to happen so I can take action. But that was the greatest lesson is that I didn't get to know. I had to just take it day by day. And I, the most important thing to me, to me as a mother was to make sure that my kids didn't know that this was a bad thing. Because I was the one that's going to teach them whether this was an exciting experience or whether that we were victims and this was a traumatic experience. So I found ways to present every situation as if it was an adventure as opposed to a traumatic victimizing experience. And we would do little things like I have this great picture of my daughters. One day I was feeling really overwhelmed and they had taken all of the dishes out to the wagon and filled it with soapy water and they were washing dishes for me. (laughs) And it was like the greatest thing. These little girls had filled this wagon. They're like, oh, the wagon's big. We can fit all of the dishes in this wagon. So we'll wash them in this soapy wagon. And then we can just rinse them off with the hose and then take them inside. And I thought to myself, what a beautiful thing that when they saw me struggling, their initial thought was to do something to help me instead of, you know, making it about them or, you know, feeling the struggling energy and then jumping into that and struggling themselves. I feel like as a family, we've kind of all found a way to subsidize or supplement the ones who are struggling working as a team. So, I mean, obviously this comes through modeling. You can't teach something you're not practicing. And so it was very important for me to make sure that I was modeling this. And when I really did struggle, I had outlets that weren't my children so that I wasn't complaining to them all the time. So they, I mean, they didn't know Lucy and Lily said to me just a little while ago, they're like, we had no idea that the reason why we were doing all these things was because we were in these dire circumstances. We just thought it was fun. So those, that's a winning mom moment. I I helped them figure that out. You know, that even through hard times, everything can be fun and everything can be an adventure, but that doesn't go without saying that I had a lot of really hard days and James was traveling and doing these world records because we'd lost everything. And we're like, well, If we're going to go for something, we're going to go for it now. We have nothing to lose. We've already lost everything. And so we were going for it, but the sacrifice that took was indescribable. And that even leads into the, you know, the sacrifice this year of completing the Conquer 100, indescribable. Like you just can't fathom the sacrifice that takes. The truth is there was a lot of struggle that I put on a shelf until after we completed these different eras of struggling. And then I had to dress them and figure them out. But I, I shelved them for survival. And then later was able to kind of pull through and figure it out after, after, you know, we had settled life a little bit. Do you think you're able to recognize, and maybe this has come with experience and time and having done the 50, 50, 50, and then the conquer 100 (laughs) and having those, just that time and growth to experience that. But do you think in the moment you were able to recognize who this is a lot that I'm going through. I recognize that. And I know I'm going to have to unpack it all later. And so I'm going to find some coping strategies right now that are efficient and healthy 
what were some of those outlets that you turned to in those moments when you knew, okay, I can't deal with all this baggage right now, but I need to find an outlet. I need to take care of myself so I can show up well for my kids and for my husband and, and all these things that you guys have done from coming out of that time in 2008, 2009, and the different records that have been set. How did you make time for yourself and still show up as an amazing mother? What were those outlets that you turned to and how did you know to turn to them? How did you make time for them? You articulated that perfectly. That's exactly what I did. I found momentary ways to cope until I could actually really address what was going on. A big way was um, I did a lot of affirmations. So acknowledging what the emotion was and handing it off either, you know, I'm Christian. So I pass it off to Jesus Christ, the atonement, or, you know, if you're not, if you don't have some type of religious belief, you can just pass that off to a fire and just take that emotion, take that feeling, throw it in the fire and then fill the body with light. So that was huge for me. But the other thing was, is that I made sure I always kept myself challenged. Now it's one thing to challenge yourself with life circumstances when you don't have a choice. It's another thing to seek out challenge things that fulfill you. And so I found ways to challenge myself throughout this journey that were fulfilling to me. For instance, one of the things I would do is I would find a way to gather goods to do like remodel of a bedroom. So we had built this house and everything was white because it cost more money to paint rooms, right? And I was like, oh, I can paint it myself. So I would find people who would give me paint. I would gather fabric from people who would just donate it and I would paint a bedroom and sew quilts and redo the bedroom. So it was always a fun thing for me when James would go out of town that I would complete a project by the time he got back because he was always like, why are you doing this project? Life is too crazy. What are you thinking? So I'd do it when he was gone. So it didn't interrupt our life, but then I would, I would feel fulfilled by having done these great little assignments, you know, or another thing was, is to get engaged with the neighborhood. So we had friends in the neighborhood that I would help them with their kids or I'd help with their gardens. We'd spend time together as moms, you know, a social network of moms. I know that's a lot more common now play groups and stuff, but they didn't really exist much back then. Everybody was kind of doing their own thing. Now they're quite common, but they weren't then. So I would kind of rally and say, Hey, why don't you have your kids come over and we'll do this thing. And we'll, you know, I'd host a lot of things like that and none of them cost money. So I had to do it all without money. And that's what made it really exciting. And then for myself, it was always fitness related. I always made sure that I had types of fitness challenges and I would get up early to do it before the kids were up. And that sacrifice always came easily because I was getting up for me mm-hmm. and I was doing it for me. Everything I was doing in those hours were for me. And they got tricky sometimes. I mean, I mean, you have kids, they get up all hours of the night. It's not like they yeah. sleep all night, every night, you know, sometimes I'd have to get up and do something and go back and, you know, five o'clock in the morning. And sometimes a kid would stay up and it was tricky, but finding those little ways to do things that were about me and not about anybody else. And that's definitely something that helped me keep that sanity and also gave me something to look forward to. So when things were really hard or rough and they weren't fun, there was things to look forward to. I always had something on the docket that would fill my heart and soul. Yeah. It's almost like you kept a plan for making that space and you didn't wait till the the time came up. You were like, I'm going to make time for this because I need to. With that as well, looking for opportunities along the way. So if I'm at somebody's Mm -hmm. house and they're like, oh, I've got all this extra fabric. I'm like, Hey, can I have some of that for a project that doesn't exist yet? It's going to, right. So I'm always thinking ahead for opportunities when they 
when they present themselves. Yeah. And it's so important as a mom, we can get so into this routine and this mundane, like day after day, same exact thing. And our brains start to get disengaged. I'm reading this book about just the potential that's in your brain. And if we're not engaging it, you know, if we're not going to a job, if we're not learning something new, we start to lose that capacity. So you're almost finding those opportunities to keep growing and keep your brain engaged, which keeps you more positive. And isn't that relevant to every living person on this planet? Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, shouldn't we all be doing that all the time? Absolutely. So I remember hearing in another interview that you did that there was a point when your kids were little, you were waking up at 3am. I believe I heard. Can you tell us a little bit about that and why? I mean, 3am someone hears that and they're like, that's when my littlest one wakes up for a feed and I go back to sleep. Like what gave you the discipline to do that? I know you said because it was for you, but where did that drive come from? Cause I think it's hard to muster that up sometimes or get to that People point. People ask it all the time. They're like, how do I get that? I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> you just have to make a decision and do it. You, know, you can't sell motivation. Motivation's cheap. Amen. It's discipline, right. It's all about discipline. Well, I've always been a morning person as opposed to a night person. So a lot of moms put their kids to bed and then they do things at night. Like I have a sister that she would put her kids to bed and she'd stay up till two o'clock in the morning doing stuff. Not me. I'd rather get up at two o'clock in the morning and go to bed early with the kids. Right. So I had a job that I started at five 30 in the morning. And so I'd set my alarm for two 30. I would get to this 24 hour gym by three. I'd work out from like three to four 30. And then I would drive home shower. So I could get to work by five 30 in the morning. Then I'd come home at noon. I get home. I got off at noon. So 12, 15, 12, 30. I would eat lunch with the kids. It was Lucy and Lily, my tool list. And then we would all, we would nap together and James would head off to work. So he and I worked opposite shifts. And that was just until Lily was one and a half. So it wasn't that far into um, being a mom. You know, it wasn't like my whole time, but, but I had an early morning paper out in high school that I got up at two 30 in the morning and I, we ran papers till five 30. So I've just always gotten up early, but I just, there's something I don't understand about the human mind. I don't understand if you want something, why you don't make it happen. Wow. I I don't understand that. I'm like, people would just say, I I want, I wish. And I'm like, we'll make it happen. Well, I just can't. I'm like, that means you don't want it. So to me, obviously that's one of my strengths, maybe a gift, but if I want something, I make it happen. And I knew with things like workouts, they weren't going to happen if I didn't get up early. They weren't going to happen in the afternoon. They weren't going to happen at all of us on the planet. No, everything comes up when you have an intention to head to the gym, right? I knew that if I got up early in the morning, then it wouldn't interrupt me. And I actually trained for a, a full Ironman getting wow. up at two o'clock in the morning because I had, James was traveling in 2012 and it was my only option. So I get up two o'clock in the morning, I would bike six hours and I'd run back and forth in front of my house for an hour. And I would just tell Lucy, she was like 10 or something. I'm like, if you need me, just pop your head out the front door. I will be running back and forth because I didn't have help with babysitters. Yeah. I did it on my own. And so those are the days I look back and I'm like, that was totally asinine, <laughs> but it was like, I, it meant something to me. Then I, I felt like I needed that. Even though looking back now, I'm like, that was stupid. Why didn't I just do shorter triathlons or why didn't I just do? And I, I had intended to but all my friends were doing long stuff. And if I wanted to hang out with my friends and I wanted to train with my friends, which was that whole social side of being a mom, I had to do the long stuff by, by default. Mm. So, I mean, 
it was stuff I wanted. It's stuff that mattered to me. And so I made time to make it happen. Yeah. And it's part of that challenge too. You were like, this is, I could do a shorter one. And a million of those, who cares? Right. There's no (laughs) challenge with that. Like you can try to get faster, but being fast is biological. I don't care who you are. I don't care what your argument is. Sure. I could get faster today than I was yesterday, but being fast in general, it's biological. You are talented when it comes to speed. Your body is designed a certain way that's different. So it's not that rewarding to just get faster temporarily only to fall out of shape in 10 minutes and then not be fast anymore, you know? So the endurance, that was a challenge to me. That's what I enjoyed. Yeah. Especially being more built for weights. I'm the same way. Definitely. Definitely. (laughs) Yep. I feel like a big part of your family's story is what your husband's done. And if people aren't aware, I mean, I went over it in the introduction, but do you think, I know you said fitness and what, what, what else was it that you guys have in common fitness and salads? Okay. That's what I, yeah, that's it. Right. I think part of that connection is that mindset piece because a lot of what he's done is it's a mental challenge. I feel like at that point, it's like what 20% physical and 80% mental getting past certain points that you just don't. I love the 40% rule Goggins, 40% rule of, you know, when you think you're done, you're really only 40% done. I I've lived by that. So do you think that's also part of what one brought you two together and two has raised really resilient kids? I think I would answer the question differently at different stages of my life. When I was younger, I would say we enjoyed being opposites. So I'm a very conventional, like routine. Like my daughter, Lucy's just like that. Like she schedules in to have fun. You know, it's like schedule structure. I'm masterful at getting stuff done. I'm master efficiency, like the best. Everything's organized. Everything's in control. And I never have trouble getting anything done. But then I don't ever have, I, I wouldn't let my hair down, right? I, could, I didn't know how to just have fun. I was so busy being responsible. So James and I offset that. He was all play. I was all work. And so we have really brought each other, you know, to the center. And, you know, when I was, you know, maybe five years ago after the 50, I may have said, yeah, I think we have mindset in common. But now that we've done the hundred, I think we're totally opposite when it comes to mindset. Interesting. What I mean by that is I am a very disciplined person. James is totally undisciplined, but when it's time to turn it on, he knows how to turn it on. Life is his playground. He lives in the life of a playground. He does not, he, he doesn't care about responsibility. He doesn't care. He just doesn't, it's not in his DNA. And to me, I'm the opposite but we both have this incredible mindset but in completely different ways, completely different ways. He says, I've got this challenge. Watch out. I'm coming. My daughter, Daisy's exactly like that. She's 15. (laughs) When she sets her mind to something, watch out. But she only sets her mind to like two things ever in her life. Where for me, I'm like, everything is disciplined. Everything is conquerable. And I'm going to just knock it all off. Like I don't even set goals because I, I just get everything done all the time. (laughs) I don't need to set a goal to learn a new language because if I decide to do it, I'm just going to do it. I just work on it. I don't, I don't have to like micro goal, you know, like I I don't have to do any of that where James, he's going to set goals. He's never going to do them anyway. But yet the mindset piece, we're both masterful in completely different ways. I love that. I think the kids have seen both ways and they've identified what type of person they are. And the most beautiful thing they've learned to do is to embrace each other's differences. 
and say, okay, you are, your room gets out of control before you finally conquer it, where this room is immaculate and perfect all the time. But we've been learning, you know, we've been teaching them their whole lives not to judge each other for their differences because both of them are beautiful. They're just different. Yeah. And their strengths. And I think it's a beautiful example of the fact that whatever outcome it is that you have with your personality, how you show up, how you think you are able to do whatever it is you put your mind to, if you choose to do it, because we were all designed. Yes, exactly. So how do you identify what's important to you? How do you figure out what those priorities are? Cause obviously you've had a lot on your plate forever (laughs) and and the way you show up, you just like to have a lot on your plate. It sounds like, (laughs) but how do you determine what's a priority? So that way your family's routine, you know, even when the kids were younger now they're older, how do you determine what those priorities are? So you're not putting too much on your plate that you can't take on. So this is an excellent question. I feel like there's three parts to it. I hope I remember all three by the time. (laughs) One is Every person needs to identify when they're successful. So if you're a morning person, don't set goals for night. If you're a night person, don't Mm -hmm. set goals for the morning. If you're like James and you're not really a goal-oriented person and you don't care if your room is messy, but you know how to turn it on, your goal should be catered to that. But if you're like me, your goal should not be catered to just turn it on every once in a while. It should be structure, organization, whatever, right? And of course, there's a million things in between. But identify for yourself how and why you succeed. What are the methods that help you succeed? Because as soon as you try to break the pattern that's based off of your personality, you're going to fail. Mm-hmm. You're not going to get up at five o'clock in the morning if you're not a morning person, right? Change your goals. Identify who you are. Second is, I don't make time for things that waste my time. So for instance, if, you know, and, and this hasn't always been the case because I love helping and taking care of people. I especially love kids, all ages, newborns to teenagers, to 20 year olds. I love them. So my whole life, I watched a lot of kids. I shouldn't have been watching. It wasn't in my best interest, but I just loved them so much that I had a real struggle defining what was important and what was worth my time. And that takes experience and effort and thought, you know, to figure out what really matters to you. Mm -hmm. So to me, I would say, it's about the kids. The parents might be taking advantage about me of, of me, but this is about the kids. It's about me spending time for the kids. It's about me putting these kids in a home where they feel safe and loved. It's not about the fact that their parents are taking advantage of me. So finding what you value based on your experiences. And then lastly, figure out what's worth it to you, what you actually want and what you feel pressured to want. Like, do I feel pressured to want to um, have a clean house or do I care about a clean house? Do I feel pressured to, you know, make sure my hair looks nice or that I'm in, I'm fit or, or do I actually want to be that person? And that can change day to day. You know, do you care if your wrapping paper matches your tree or not? You should never feel pressured into being somebody you're not. If that's not who you are, don't make time for it. Don't waste your time with things that don't carry value to you and your family. That's hard for a girl, I think. Definitely. Cause we're just again, made to be nurturers and we want to care for people. We want to take care of everything and get it all done. Including each other, right? Like you have friends really suck the life out of you and you don't want to just like ditch them. But what you can do is set boundaries and just say, am I in the mood to talk to this person today? No, I'll wait. It takes a lot of discipline to be able to say, I'm going to 
take care of myself in this moment. There's so much talk about self-care and making sure you're taking care of yourself. And this is probably one of the best ways to give yourself self-care aside from taking care of your health. There's taking care of your mind. And this is a big way to just bring that peace and not overburden yourself. When it's like, what do you want to do? And what do you not want to do? Like I have a friend, I love to clean and organize. I would never hire a cleaner because it's something I thoroughly enjoy. I have a friend, she just told me the other day, she's like, I love to clean and organize, but I had a cleaner come today and I got to go sledding with my kindergartner and his friend. And I'm like, interesting, right? To me, like I could judge her and say, you're so lazy, you can't even clean your own house, right? But that's not the motive. Let's say it is. Let's say she hates to clean. Don't do it. Yeah. You know, like you have to do things you hate for, for most of your life, but pick a few things that you hate doing and find a way around them. Like if you hate doing laundry, try to make a commitment with your partner to get them to do it. And you know, you trade jobs like, Hey, what do you hate doing? I'll do that. If you do this, like find a way around them. So you're not spending every day miserable doing things you don't want to do. Yeah. But at the same time, don't be a crybaby. And there are things you have to gut out and do that you don't want to do because that's called life. Yep. Okay. So I was going to ask you this, as you were saying that maybe there's someone out there that just doesn't like working out, but they know they need to do it. It's that difference when you were talking about, do you feel pressured to do it? Or do you actually care? And maybe they're torn inside saying, I kind of feel pressured from the outside because I've been postpartum for like nine months and I still haven't worked out yet. I do kind of care, but I just don't want to do it. I don't know how I'm going to find the time. How would you approach that situation? Because we all know at the end of the day that our health is important. And the way I look at it when I don't feel like it is my kids are going to grow up and they're going to have kids. And I want to, I want to be, I mean, my, I have two grandmas still alive that are over the age of 80 and can get down on the floor with my kids. And it's because they still walk miles every day. (laughs) I'm like, I want to be like that. So how do you, what, what would you say to someone who is in that torn place, but does not feel like it and is struggling with that discipline and is struggling with that consistency? What would you say? So a few thoughts, people can't see me, but I have a picture of Arnold Schwarzenegger right here. My mm-hmm. little sister gave me, so I was obsessed with him growing <laughs> up and he, that's from a thrift store. But if you want to look like that, then it's going to take what it takes to get there. So your expectations can be realistic with what you're committing to do. Mm-hmm. If you're expecting to look like super ripped and you're not willing to put in the work, Well, that's insanity right there. So decide what you actually want and what you're actually willing to commit to, what you're willing to sacrifice for. But I have a friend, I play pickleball twice a week. And I have a friend today that said she lives, she just moved. She's a half an hour away. And we had, we have a bunch of snow. And she said, I'm not coming. I'm doing just dance, just dance in my basement today instead. She's like 55. She's 55 and she's doing just dance for her workout this morning in her basement. I'm like, that's so cool. Who doesn't want that grandma? Right. <laughs> yep. And she's a grandmother, but I'm like, there are a million ways to get exercise yeah. a million. You can, you can go with friends to some Zumba class. You can do just dance in your basement. You can just walk your dog. You can just go, I mean, hike, walk up a mountain. You can get a stationary bike for your house and watch TV the whole time. So there was a guy, I can't remember if it's somebody I know, or James just told me the story that needed to lose weight. And he loved watching TV. So he hooked his TV up to a bike. And the only way the TV would turn on was if he was pedaling. And he lost like a ridiculous amount of weight, 200 pounds or something. 
And James was like, how did you do it? And he's like, I literally connected the power to my bicycle. If I wanted to do what I loved, I had to earn it. So get creative. But I will say this. I can't tell you how many times I don't feel like walking the dog, which is not my exercise. To me, I'm like, oh, why does somebody else walk the dog? But I can't tell you how many times I get out there and I'm like, I am so glad I'm out here walking the dog when I didn't want to. Mm-hmm. So you have to say to yourself too, in those moments when you're like, especially if you're really depressed and you're like, I don't want to leave the house. You have to say to yourself, but I know it's going to change everything. If I get out that door, Yeah. no one regrets like going for a walk. They're not going to be like, oh, I wish I hadn't gone out. I mean, unless you like get eaten by a dog or something, but people don't yeah. regret that. They don't say, I wish I hadn't gotten out today. But then you're getting out there in the light and you see people, you know, and even though you don't want to do those things, you have to be honest with yourself that, you know, you'll feel better. So find things you like to do. You know, if you want to play pickleball, play pickleball. If you love to swim, go do water aerobics. If you don't want to do anything, do a five minute workout that you can get an app. That's like a five minute workout that you do some planks, wall sits, something, just something, or, you know, park further away. That's the oldest trick in the book way out in the parking lot. You have to walk all the way in. But you have to find what you love to do or you won't do it. And it has to be a time that works for you or you won't do it. And you have to remind yourself sometimes you have to do things you don't want to do. And it often feels better once you get it done because then it's not moving over you and sitting on your shoulders, this big gorilla that you're like, I know I need to. You're bragging about it. You're like, yeah, man, I got my workout in this morning, right? It's like a big deal to get it in and to get it done. Brag it up, man. Yeah. Like it's awesome. And those things take time too to become to become routine. Were there things going through motherhood? Were there things with, with James in becoming, I mean, it took, I just realizing today that between the 50 and the conquer 100 was six years, which is a lot of time. You would think, Oh, why don't you just ride the momentum because you're physically able. I think that's a really good example of it takes time to build up to certain things. It takes time to plan. It takes time to get to this place where you're capable of living out a certain way. And that's kind of the extreme that I think a lot of postpartum moms can't relate to, but what would you say helps make something go from, okay, I'm white knuckling it. I've just got to do it because I know I need to, and it'll feel better to It actually is my lifestyle and it is how I live (laughs) no matter what. So time passes either way. Mm -hmm. There's nothing I hate more when somebody says, oh, I just wish I would have something, something, something. I just didn't have the time. And I'm like, time? Because you what? You think everybody in this world has time? Like you think everybody in this world just has so much time. Like, here's the thing. I'm a stay-at-home mom. I've always worked like odd jobs in between. But my kids are older now and they demand as much time now as they did when they were little. It's just different. And you think, oh, the kids go to school and you have all day. Oh, contraire, my friend. I mean, just today, my daughter Daisy called. Hey, can you come get all me and my friends for lunch and then drive us back? It's like, I drove back and forth from junior high three times today because the first time I dropped Dolly off, the second time she forgot she'd taken the wrong books because they canceled school yesterday. So she had the wrong books in her backpack. And then the third time, cause she forgot to take the stuff for her Spanish party. And I'm like, most of the time I'm like, no, forget it too bad. But Dolly never forgets stuff. It was this once in a while thing three times. Then I immediately get home. I'm the only one home. I got to take Quinn to school. So I'm late for pickleball only to have Daisy called I mean, it's all day running back and forth. And then my daughter comes home at one o'clock in the morning and wants to talk till two o'clock in the morning. I mean, this doesn't change. It does not get easier as your kids get older. It just changes, right? Mm -hmm. I get 
the same amount of sleep now as I've ever gotten. It's just a different dynamic. So when you feel like you don't have time, I want to slap you in the face because you have no idea how little time all of these successful people have. Yeah. Have time. I have a friend that has one kid and she's like stressed out of my mind. I don't have enough time. I'm totally overwhelmed. She feels the same thing as somebody with five kids. Mm-hmm. So if five kids goes, man, that seems so easy to only have one. Like I can't imagine only having one, but it's just mom life, right? It's mom life. Where we're taking care of ourselves. And if you have a partner, you're taking care of your partner. You're taking care of, you know, your parents or, so, you know, I have a friend with a severely disabled child, a couple of friends actually, that these kids require care 24 hours a day. It's like, they make time. How do you not make time? Right? So when time is your excuse, you've got a problem. Something's off in your life. Because all the successful people in the time in this world all have less time than you. And we all have 24 hours in a day. Don't let the illusion of successful people make you think they have more time. But that's the, that's the secret. you got to figure it out. you got to say, what's worth it to me? Where can I plug things in? In fact, I realized with James just about six months ago, not even two months ago, I realized why I'm so efficient and why he's not. And it's because... <laughs> When I have 10 seconds, I say to myself, what can I do in this 10 seconds? So let's say like even before this podcast, right? I had a 10 minute gap. I'm like, okay, I've got 10 minutes. Well, I'll log on to the computer. What can I do in this 10 minutes? It's like if you're constantly thinking, but people go, oh, I only have 10 minutes. I don't have time to get started in something. But if you find those little blurps of time and you utilize them, you get some serious stuff done and you do it by accident. So that's the secret, right? To figure out where these little slips of time are that you think don't exist. I always think about a smoker. I'm like, a smoker, how many smoke breaks do they take in a day? They go stand for how many hours a day? Or my friend Carly always says, how much TV do you watch? She's like, I don't watch TV. So if you're watching TV, what do you watch? You watch TV instead of right? Hook it up to the bike. Yep, That's my one time. <laughs> Such a good solution. <laughs> Such a good solution. Looking at other people who are at a certain point are able to get certain things done. Obviously it's because they've figured out where to plug in those to-do items where, and it, it just becomes habit. I feel like, you know, that mindset, that ability to take action, it becomes habit after you do it day after day, year after year. Just like it's a habit to jump on your phone when you have a few minutes Absolutely. And reverse the same thing. Absolutely. It can be really easy though, when you're looking at someone who's at that point and say, Oh, I just want to get there. So how did you keep yourself? Cause what I've come to learn, I've only, I only got two kids, but motherhood, the learning curve in motherhood is extremely steep. And after each one you like dip down and you don't realize there's a whole yeah. other mountain to climb. And their personalities are totally different. It's not like you can take what you learned from right. one and plug it into two. Oh no. No, it's like a new, an absolutely new text. It's not a new chapter. It's a new textbook every single time a kid is born. So how do you keep yourself? How did you keep yourself from comparing to other moms? And how would you encourage moms today, especially with social media and just so much out there that you're constantly seeing what other people are doing? What would you encourage another mom who's in that state of comparison? I mean, like the old saying is comparing apples to oranges. And and the reason why that's a saying is because they have nothing in common other than they're both a fruit. I mean, they both have seeds. I mean, I guess they grow both grow on trees. They don't even grow on the same temperature. There's you have to peel an orange. I mean, they're totally different. The nutrients in each of them is different. But really, everybody's on their own journey. 
everybody has their own purpose. Everybody has their own reason to be doing what they're doing. Everybody has their own connections. They're different people. We have our own talents. You know, back in the day, there was a baker, there was a butcher, there was a blacksmith, there was a farmer. They weren't all the same. And for some reason today, everybody thinks I have to be the butcher. I have to be the baker. I have to be the blacksmith. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Especially with women, we are in this world to feed off each other, to bounce off each other, to support each other. So if you're good at sewing and they're good at baking, switch, take turns. If they're good with digital stuff on a computer and you're good with connecting with people, off balance each other, support each other, offer each other love and care in in your strengths and ask people in your weaknesses to help support you. And let's make this world go round. But I mean, I grew up with five sisters and I was at the younger end. I'm number seven of eight. And my older siblings always talk about how my parents always compared each other. But I never felt that. I had a little sister that is completely opposite of me. She was like six feet and like 110 pounds. And I was like five, three and like 150 solid muscle mass. I'm a total extrovert. She's a total introvert. I am like, you know, play, have fun, excitedness. And she's like studious and watching Star Trek. And we were, we still are total opposites. And yet we always got along and complimented each other. She tutored me. I would make her go with me to socialize. Like we had this really great understanding of each other that my older siblings didn't feel like they experienced. And my, my older siblings are very competitive, but I've never felt that because I, it just wasn't in me, right? Me and my little sister kind of banded together at the end of the family when our parents had kind of moved on and been done parenting, we kind of fended for ourselves. And I I felt like that was really important to teach my daughters as well. So as my daughters were growing up, I have four daughters and a son. It was, if, if somebody said something like, well, they're really good at this. I'm like, you're right. They're good at it and you suck at it. So what? Like, and, and what are you good at? Great. Okay, so you're both good at different things. Great, who cares? Like I totally downplayed if you were bad at something or I don't get this math. I'm like, yeah, math's tricky. Sometimes some people get it. Some people don't, don't kill yourself. Just do your best. So that's why, why don't we do that as women? Why, why are we trying to be like everybody else? I always joke in Utah that everybody copies everybody else. Nobody has their own ideas. So somebody builds this house and then all of a sudden everybody in Utah is building the same house. And I'm like, why is everything look exactly like, or somebody gets a haircut And all of a sudden the entire female population in Utah has that same haircut and they wear those same clothes and their house is decorated the same. And I'm like, that is so weird to me. I'm not like, I don't want to look like anybody else. What do we have against being unique? What do we have against standing out? We have this picture in Europe where we're in Italy and everybody, it's this big crowd and everybody's got black coats on. And I'm right in the middle and James took and have this fluorescent orange sweatshirt on. I love it. He posted, can you find Sunny? But that's the thing is I don't, I don't care if, if I stand out, I don't care if people are looking at me, why do you, or why do they Or like, who cares? Right. Right. Thanks. Who cares? You're different. Be unique. Shine as bright as you need to shine. If you don't, you're robbing people of your gifts that you have to share with the world. Amen. Amen. And it all comes back to what you were talking about with being so clear on what your strengths are. And instead of trying to fix the weaknesses is focusing yeah. in on those strengths and you're instilling that in your kids, which is, I mean, I think that's vital for the next generation. If you don't do it, they're not going to do it. So if you're insecure and you don't know, and you know how to use your voice and you're afraid of this and that, like what people aren't going to like you. Well, guess what? People crucified Jesus and he was perfect. So 
you have no chance of making everybody like you. And the older I get, the more people I feel like don't like me. And it's because when you're comfortable in your own skin, people don't like that. Well, guess what? No matter what you do, people are not going to like you. And that's just life. And guess what? It's okay. It's okay if people don't like you or if they judge you or they, I have people all the time tell me your house is so ugly. I'm like, oh, oh my goodness. You don't have to live here because it's this yellow house with a pink door. Everybody else has got white houses with black trim. And, you know, Quinn's like, my friend said his mom thinks your house is so ugly. I was like, well, I don't care. She thinks it's ugly all she wants. Why do I care? It's like, I love you shine, shine, shine. And don't let anybody get in your way. Yeah. And you can only figure that out by trying things and challenging yourself. I feel like your whole message is just coming together right here. <laughs> Perfectly said, right? Yeah. Put yourself out there. If people hate it, who cares? Take a different turn. Try something new. Who cares? Who cares? Right. right. And the beautiful thing about physically challenging yourself and showing up in a way that you're pushing yourself physically in a workout or taking on some crazy challenge or training for an Ironman with five kids, like whatever it is, as you're in that you, and I don't know about you, but when I was doing triathlons, I did them before kids, that time alone with your thoughts is one of the most confidence building times. Cause you really get clear on those things on what do you love? You as long as your spend. mind's in the right place. Yeah, that's true. Some people it's destructive, right? How does it get to the right place then? Because it's an easier path, right? To go down and entertain the negative thoughts. How do you, well, it's just, it? it's the same thing you talked about with habits. As soon as you feel that negative thought and flip mm-hmm. it. So people talk a lot about gratitude, which obviously is like key, but in addition to gratitude, I like to take it in a little bit of a different stride and say, think of the things that make you feel happy. Because if you're feeling sad or miserable and you think of things that make you feel happy, like who feels sad when they see a little tiny dog running into a room with with a costume or the cutest little baby squealing or dancing on like people like Instagram makes me insecure. I'm like, really? All I do is watch is like dogs, bunnies, and like babies all day on Instagram. Are you kidding? It's the greatest place in the world for me. They have the cutest stuff on there, but you can't feel sad and negative. If you think about the things that make you feel happy. Not the things you're grateful for, the things that make you feel happy. If you love swimming in the ocean, if you love playing in the snow, if you love even just the color of purple or yellow, or I mean, anything that makes you feel happy, you shift your mind immediately to that. And eventually the habit will be to think of the positive things instead of the negative things. Got to create them. Do you think that helped with your postpartum depression after your second? Absolutely. Is that when a lot of that was forged in you? Yep. It was a matter of shifting your thought. Where are you focusing? I mean, what you focus on expands. What are you expanding? What are you focusing on? And I've always refused to make myself a victim, even if I was entitled to it. Sometimes I was like, no way, man, I'm better than that. I don't need that. I don't need pity. I don't need, you know, people validating me. What I need is to feel happy and to feel connected. So what's going to help me connect? What's going to make me feel happy? Let's figure that out. Oh, I love that. I have one last question for you. Tough love. The way I look at the definition of it is expressing love in a way that is straightforward, but in the interest of someone else's well-being. And I feel like you embody that in just a beautiful, caring way. I don't think tough love is this demeaning thing. I really believe that it is coming from a place of 100%. I care about you and I love you. And so I'm going to address this head on when it comes to motherhood, when it comes to postpartum and everything we talked about today, especially with mindset, what is one thing you want to leave these moms with that are listening? Everybody feels exactly like you. 
the moms that are smiling, the moms that have it together, the moms that have this great shell, they feel exactly like you. The difference is how long they sit in the swamp. Are you going to sit in the swamp 24 hours a day, seven days a week? Or am I going to sit in the swamp for five minutes and then get out? But you have to understand everything you're experiencing, everybody else experiences. You are not this weirdo. Or let's say you're a victim to something traumatic. There are other people out there that feel just like you, but you have to get out of the swamp. It will eat you alive. It will take over your life. And then the next generation is taught to sit in the swamp. So you have to say to yourself, what's going to get me out of the swamp? Thinking of things that make me feel happy and getting up and doing something. Just because I get a lot of crap done doesn't mean I don't want to sit around. I want to just sit and watch movies. And I've actually really struggled with depression like the last probably six months. Mm -hmm. You know, after the hundred, I've had some like some serious depressive states that I'm like, I've got to get up and I've got to get out. So what I do, I get up and I leave the house or I get up and I get moving. I do something. It's not what I want to do. I want to lay in my bed and watch TV all day. And I want to shut all my blinds and pretend like the rest of the world doesn't exist. But it's not what I do. I get up and get out. I feel exactly like you. The difference is I get out of the swamp. So what I want to encourage you to do is avoid the victim swamp, sit in the swamp and get out, but also find a way to feel happy. Do things that make you feel happy. Challenge yourself. You know, like I I was always doing things to learn and grow when I had all these little kids. I didn't just be mom all day. There was still sunny in there. So find a way to let your light shine and get out of that swamp. Wow. That's so good. I'm carrying that in the next year. I'm so excited to just 2022. Yes. It's going to be so good. Wow. So where can everyone find you and follow you? Because we all need your wisdom and this encouragement. I mean, daily. So where can we find you? So on Instagram, it's Sunny Joe Lawrence, S-U-N-N-Y-J-O Lawrence. And I, I'm, I'm on Facebook, same type of thing, but, but I try to be, I'm not a big social media person, but I really make an effort to be diligent in posting on Instagram because I, I don't know. I just, I'm more of a real life connection person. I don't have a problem with it. It's just not natural for me, but I do make a concerted effort to be engaged on Instagram. And whenever you get sent to speaking events, cause that will happen. I'm declaring, I mean, you just have so much to share that is yours and not just your family's story. That is your story. And it is, I mean, I'm touched by it today. I'm like chills right now. So I know there will come a day when you're out there speaking and encouraging other women. And so I'm sure moms will be able to find you once they're following you and you get to announce those dates and locations that yeah, and hit me in person, you know, you want me to come speak. You want me to do stuff. Hit oh, me yes. up. I'm happy to do it. And that's it's moms that I like connecting with the best, you know, well, I love you. women, children, teenagers, but like women is my jam. Well, you are gifted in this area and I'm so grateful that you came and shared with us today. So thank Thank you you so much. Wow. 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 That was mind blowing. Sunny is just so gifted in her ability to encourage and equip and empower women to just show up as their best. So I hope that 
you were able to glean something today. Go back and listen to this if you have to. I know I'm going to be going back and taking notes because there was just so much goodness in this podcast, so much that we can take from this and apply to our lives today as moms, as ones who are raising up the next generation, who are raising up strong children, who are going to show up and be set apart in this world. Don't forget that you can go find Sunny on Instagram. It's Sunny Joe Lawrence. And you can also head to her website at sunnyjoemama.com. Make sure that you send her a message and let her know what you took away from this, how grateful you are for just her encouragement and her heart. And then after you do that, go and get after it. Before you go, thank you for spending this time with me on the Tough Love Mom podcast. If this episode encouraged you in any way, the number one way you can thank me is to leave a review, letting me know how the show has impacted you. Then send this episode to another mom friend or take a screenshot, post it on social media and tag me so I can personally thank you for helping me on this journey to impact thousands of moms. I'm so grateful to be on this journey with you, sister. Until next time, get after it.